Hi folks and happy July. It's the beginning of a new month and that is the best time to join a Patreon. Uh, you get access for a full month and you get to see what the back catalogue is like, see what the exclusive content is like, see what it's like having it all in one place. And you can cancel at the end of the month because it's no long-term contract. Uh, I would love you to join us. It's 550 for for the month and there's tons of content coming, including a conversation that I had yesterday with Owen Gilmartin on the absolutely horrific events at the Moroccan-Spanish border. Uh, We have the first sit-down chat with uh, the lads from the Shrapnel podcast tomorrow morning and we have a show coming on Sunday and that's just one of, I think it's now 970 additional pieces of content that are up on patreon.com forward slash tortoiseshack no one likes having to ask for people to support us we don't like having to bang the drum but the way we look at it is these podcasts have a value people enjoy them people get a lot out of them and if you know you you want to pay it forward this is the way we do it it's not ideal it's not perfect but it is simple register click the level that that suits you and uh, you get access to all of the content as we get it done thanks for listening thanks for the support please do recommend us to your friends and enjoy the podcast Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast. My name is Tony Groves and we're back uh, again. Look, there's been a lot coming out this week, a lot we've been covering. Um, I will obviously uh, give give a nod to some of the some of the coverage that we've done in the last while. I surprised I was kind of disappointed, Martin, the reaction that not enough people could as my opinion, listen to the stuff that was done on Colombia over the last few weeks. The what happened there was bloody mm-hmm. historic, and it shows um that we need to put more of a, a, a uh, focus on these issues because it's now when it's going to become difficult for uh, someone who's trying to govern a broad church of sort of center left and make it work. And all the noise I'm hearing is this guerrilla uh, fighter who, you know, is now the president. Anyway, look, I just go back and listen to that stuff, folks, because I think, you know, really good insights from, from well, Nick, we Nicholas. We can have our nose is very up to the picture, Tony. Sometimes we need to step back. A lot happening in this country and elsewhere, but step yeah. back and look around a little. Anyway, look, we are delighted. We have a, a big panel of, uh, of fantastic guests to cover one of the worst stories. Uh, and it's been, it's not something that's new. It's not something that we didn't know was coming. We knew when SB8, the heartbeat law in Texas, was was pretty much upheld by the, the Supreme Court, that that was the beginning and the end of Roe versus Wade. It was just going to take a matter of time. But obviously, the news came out on Friday evening that the Supreme Court had pretty much gone with the leak judgment and a few little tweaks on it. And it only just got worse from there. So joining us to talk about this is Ruth Coppinger, who's former TD from the Socialist Party and co-founder of ROSA, the Socialist Feminist Organization. I'm sure listeners are well aware of Rosa. Uh, back on the podcast again is Dr. Camilla Fitzsimons, an activ- activist and academic from Maynooth University and the author of Repealed Ireland's Unfinished Right for Reproductive Rights. We also covered that on the podcast previously. Go back and have a listen. There's still, I think, Camilla, there's still a discount code there for listeners if they want to go and buy the book. So uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. And um, Dr. Lorraine Grimes, who is a researcher based in Maynooth University and has done ex- extensive research on reproductive rights uh, and worked closely with ARC on publishing the report the quality of abortion services in Ireland. Ladies, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Um, Ruth, I'm going to come to you first, if you don't mind. Uh, I, I know I, I alluded to the fact that we kind of knew this judgment was coming, but we've seen since then, um, and we touched on it briefly, that uh, that first of all the level of the judgment even even the, the way it's been framed it's it's not the it's not the end it's it's in fact it's just a new beginning for for this movement and I think I said to you Mike Pence said we have a second chance for life we must not rest and we must not relent 
this is this is a, a huge thing for for what we would call the uh, the conservative Christian um, right in America, and they're not done yet. No, and of course, the first thing we have to say is the hypocrisy of calling them pro-life because they don't seem to mind um, about kids being in cages. They don't seem to mind about huge poverty uh, in many of the, the states in the U.S. Or, you know, something we talked about at the protest of the U.S. Embassy the other night. There's been a massive shortage of baby formula in the U.S. because of, you know, the, the various crises in the economy worldwide and nothing was being done by the Supreme Court or the political establishment to deal with it. So, um, yeah, I think that what's happened is obviously historic. This is a huge setback, defeat, whichever you want to call it, for the women's movement and for other aspects of social progress as well, because to do away with a 50-year right that has existed in the U.S., at the stroke of a pen by a group of unrepresentative, unelected Supreme Court judges, the fact that that can happen. And then also that they have stated clearly, and particularly one of them, that they will now move on to contraception, same-sex marriage, and so many other things are on the agenda of these Neanderthals. And this is a dystopian, you know, this is Gilead being made real in Mm. 2022 in the US right now. Can I make one point, Martin? I know you want to come in, but it's important that we make this point. They they said in a way that we're handing it back to the states to make these decisions. Several states we know had already got got book laws on their books that if Roe v. Wade was repealed, they could move immediately to to remove abortion access. That's we're seeing that now. Some of them have been delayed because other people have taken cases, but nonetheless, they're 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 they were triggering those immediately. One, one, one was waiting, uh, like, as I said, as soon as Roe v. Wade, 49 years ago, went into place, I think it was Ohio put in, in place saying, as soon as that's done, we'll, 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 we'll trigger a thing to, to, to remove it. And um, they are doing that. And it's causing absolute carnage or people have to go. Camilla, sorry, if you want to come in. Yeah, no, just on that. I mean, just to say you're absolutely right, but that's not new. Mm. Uh, I mean, part of the Roe v. Wade decision back in 1973 was actually to give states that authority to uh, put restrictions in place. And they even based that on sort of moral arguments, which, you know, the moral argument about abortion is very new, historically speaking. It's only something that is from the late 18, early 1900s. It was totally normal before that and is a normal part of a person's reproductive health. But I think it's important not to to suggest that it's gone from full access to abortion across America to restricted access. There's been huge, huge restrictions, huge problems, people having to travel hundreds of miles uh, for as long, you know, from from the day after the Roe v. Wade decision in 1973. It has been a concerted effort to put as many restrictions in place, which has been mirrored in Ireland. And I know we'll talk about that later, but many of the attempts that are happening in Ireland are an exact replica of a concerted effort since 1973 to put as many barriers in place as possible. And on on those barriers, Ruth, you were the first person to bring a bill before the Irish uh, doll uh, to repeal the eighth. You're well aware that this is an ongoing battle. It just never stops. And at the moment, um, it has it has swung an awful lot in the favor of the conservatives. How does that relay into Ireland? 
Well, I think there's a few things there. Um, obviously, what's happened in the US is just incredible, given that it's meant to be the most you know, advanced capitalist country on the planet. The idea that women wouldn't have this right. Um, in the case of Ireland, and I think others will have views on this, it'll definitely embolden the, the far right. I've already seen the likes of Padder Tobin nearly beside himself with glee, um, you know, on Twitter and so on. Uh, I noticed their rally for life that they're planning. They've been postering with, um, you know, great enthusiasm. And but I think in Ireland, and we are at different stages and there have actually been huge advances in terms of abortion rights throughout Latin America. So it isn't all going one way. And just to make it really clear, the advances in Latin America are really historic because the Catholic Church has played such a you know dead hand role there. And it's come from a groundswell of mass movements of women. You know, of a, a huge feminist movement that began actually against gender-based violence, against femicide, and then morphed into uh, a, a, a continent-wide struggle for abortion rights, most noticeably in Argentina, you know, Mexico. There's a whole, it's like a, a, a domino effect throughout Latin America now. So it's just ironic that in the US, it's gone the other way. Um, and there's lots of reasons, and I'm sure lots of theses will be written about why this is happening. But we, we definitely should register that like capitalism now and the phase that it's in in the world is completely different. Like the rights that our mothers and grandmothers would have thought that they would have, like to things like more bodily autonomy, uh, you know, same sex marriage, all of these things. But even economic rights, like the right to a house, a pension. Young people don't have those rights anymore either. So it is very linked in with the economic, social and political system it's and the it, crisis that that system is in. Yeah, it's linked. A lot of it, it comes back to, and I hate to use that phrase, but property. And that, and in that property rights is also uh, the, the the female body and, or, the, or the pregnant person's body in, in, in many cases. And we know Roe v. Wade wasn't a wasn't an abortion uh, law. It was a privacy law. You know, it was it was a right for a woman to have privacy between herself and her doctor. Lorraine, can I come to you? You've you've gone through obviously uh, done lots of research into these, including some of the how the historic legacies of of these issues. Uh, and I know you know that that when you talked about the mother, when you studied about the mother and baby homes, the institutions, and and all of all of these things. It, Ruth makes the point that we uh, women are now have less rights than they had. Then their grandmother and their mother in the in the in the US because it's a it's now third generation that, that that law has been enacted. We've come some of the way forward, but some of the stuff that you've studied, can you just give me a sense of how shocking you well how shocked it was to see almost this going back to the stuff that you taught you were when you when you researched it was historic. Yeah, and even like if you go back in history, um like Bridget, who the Catholic Church have called Saint Bridget, even though she was pagan, um, is the first recorded abortionist in Ireland. And there's always been abortion in Ireland, um, you know, even when it was illegal. And, you know, in recent years, that has meant ordering pills online um, and from the likes of uh, Women Help Women and Women on the Web and these organizations, which I'm sure now women in the US will be making use of. And um, so it, it's always been there. It, it always will happen. And, you know, there's no such thing as banning abortion. There's only banning safe abortion. 
And that's the reality of the situation. And I suppose, you know, going back the years and, and looking at how we institutionalized women and their children because they had sex outside of marriage um, or because they didn't fit within the social um the social oppression of the time they didn't they didn't buy into that um we physically uh, locked those way those women away in institutions and uh and then forcefully put their children up for adoption quite often you know against against their will illegal adoptions and um were sent to wealthy uh american usually families um overseas and you know those those people, the children and and the parents are still trying to connect with one another. And this government is still denying access to records and still denying them access to their personal records. And I mean, the new adoption leg- legislation that has come in this year um, does still does not guarantee them rights. Um, there guarantees TUSLA, the Child and Family Agency, a right to um, records. It does not guarantee the right for survivors of the institutions or researchers to access institutional records. So it's a major block. Um, Even the, I want to, and, it's important to say the European Commission is, is unhappy with that as well. They're, yeah. they're looking into that saying like, I mean, just because Ireland is trying to put the, say this is the legislation, if it's, if it's, in, if it's not compatible with, with uh, human rights law, it's not compatible. Yeah, it's not. And I mean, there's been cases, uh, you know, to the high court, there's been cases to uh, the the European Court of Human Rights. And, you know, they're just I don't know, there needs to be significant pressure put on the government um, for this. And and unfortunately, that just it isn't happening and it's not changing. but I guess, I, I suppose, in, in terms of abortion, I mean, after 2018, after the referendum, many people, th- you know, said, OK, that's finished, that's dealt with and let's forget about it now. Um, we absolutely cannot forget about this just because we've repealed the eight um, does not mean that implementation of services is running smoothly. Um by far. So uh, what I've been doing in recent, um, in, in the last year of that is looking into how the service has been implemented and, and some of the, the gaps and the problems there. And conscientious objection is absolutely huge within the hospitals. Um, one in 10 of GPs are providing and 19, or sorry, 11 of the 19, um, maternity hospitals are providing. So it's, it's really, it's not enough. Um, Geographically, it's a problem. Um, if you're from, you know, rural Leitrim, the chances of 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 accessing, um, you know, a, a GP locally is is you know, it's a huge barrier. And as well, we have a, a very very restrictive twelve uh, week cutoff point with a three day wait as well, so a mandatory three day waiting period. And all it does is add stress to the woman who obviously abortion it's a time sensitive issue um and our legislation the interpretation of the legislation has been um that even if there's been a a failed early medical abortion that once she's past 12 weeks it's 12 weeks Mm. and that's it there's no completion of care even if there's been a failed um ema and so women have have to have had to travel and once they pass that cutoff point they've had to travel um, as well in terms of fatal fetal anomalies, um, the legislation that's there is very, very restrictive. The legislation says that the fetus must uh, die within uh, 28 days of birth. Now, to say, to 
to write down a, a medical practitioner to write down that um that it will definitely die within 28 days of life that's extremely extremely difficult because you know there's conditions where you know the baby could live for a year two years but it's not going to survive mm. and uh, so parents are left in a really really difficult position um as to what what to do there and so you know obviously we, women pregnant people they're still traveling abroad we have people traveling we have problems with safe access zones we have problems yeah. with the 12 weeks rule we have all of these issues here but we also have people just up the border who uh, who can't who can't access it yeah. at all and we we can't forget about that but I, I do I do need to come back though to uh, to Roe v Wade because there's something interesting everybody spoke about spoke about how the inadequacies of our legislation state legislators are going to be asked now in the US to 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 work on their own on their individual basis one of the things that um that I found very interesting was that was they said, well, we're giving the power back to the states to do this. And the day earlier, they had gone to New York and said, we're taking the power away from you because New York had restricted guns. <laughs> um, you know, some of the, like the use access to AR-15s. Ruth, um, like what does the, what does, oh, sorry, Camilla, you, you might want to come, come well, in Well, I mean, that. I can come in after Ruth. I no, know. no, go ahead, please. Go ahead. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I just think it's really interesting. I mean, even the way you're framing it and the way it's always framed where the power base is located with the legislators, with the state. I mean, Martin made the point earlier that Ruth was indeed the first person to bring a bill or to attempt to bring a bill in the Irish doll. But if that had been Ruth alone, Nothing would have happened. It was because there was a much broader groundswell of activism. And I think that's very important when you think of Roe v. Wade, because even as the history of Roe v. Wade is written, the reality of what was happening in the in the 1960s and 70s was radical feminist organizations in the United States, many of them socialist in their thinking. So you have the Society for Humane Abortions, you have the Jane Collective. They were really, really making waves and there were thousands of people across America were involved in grassroots activism. And that is why Roe v. Wade happened. It didn't happen in a bubble on its own, just like that's why Repeal the Eighth happened. It didn't happen in a bubble on its own. So I think even now in how we frame moving forward in the United States, I mean, it is. I think it's important to just say it's a completely different landscape in terms of how people actually have an abortion today. So, you know, abortion pills are very safe. People can take them at home on their own. That wasn't the case so much so in the past. But also I think, um, you know, a really positive thing that's happening in the United States is the amount of demonstrations that are happening, is the fact that I think in individual states where there are blocks, there are also protests and demonstrations. And I mean, I heard Ruth speak at uh, the demonstration at the weekend and raise the issue that there needs to be strikes uh, for this. Why not? I think that's a, that's a really good suggestion. Sorry if I butted in there yeah, on, on but, a specific but, question you had but, for it. But the, in America, the Democrats are using this opportunity as a come out and vote opportunity. And it's leaving a deficit with the people. That's not what people want. In Ireland, we've kind of a similar situation or we've traditionally had a similar situation where have two lead parties who never really had much interest in repeal the eighth. But there's a changing political landscape in Ireland. Do you think that favours Ireland over America for maintaining and improving rights? I think, yeah, the Democrats are using this really cynically. And, and it's not gone unnoticed. People know what they're doing. 
Um, the first thing to say is the idea of wait for the Democrats. I, I, want, I, I want to use one quote, order. Ruth, if you don't mind. And it's just because it was a bit gross where where Biden said Roe v. Wade is on the ballot. That was that's a, that is such a, you know, like what a cop out. You, you, yeah. you're, you're the president and you were vice president to to Barack Obama, who who said before he was elected that he was going to codify it. So so yeah. no, get get a grip. So sorry. Go uh, ahead. Uh, and Bill Clinton as well. Yes. Like back in 93. So this is going on 30 years that they've promised that they codify Roe versus Wade. They never did. They used all sorts of excuses. Um, and unfortunately, the sort of liberal feminist movement in America tends to ally very much with the Democrats. And this has to bring home lessons to people about the folly of that strategy. Um, and we would have to say that, like, since the Texas abortion ban and the, you know, the attacks that happened have happened a few months ago, and there's been a failure of the kind of mainstream women's movement to actually mobilise people. Um, and I, I, I think... We have to like this is such a crucial issue for working class women, for women of color, you know, the poorest, most vulnerable for for trans people um, who are going to be at the bearing the brunt of this. Uh, And I think there's two things. What Camilla said is really important. It's not the 1950s. And I think we should probably be a little bit careful about, um, you know, the coat hanger image in the sense that we actually do want to get over that there is safe medical abortion available. We availed of it in Ireland before it was legal. Um, and in you, fact... You brought it in on the bus. Yeah, exactly. Um, we I had a packet there with me the other day. They're expired since 2016. Um, they would have been one of the ones that we highlighted in the doll and on the protests. But the reason that we wanted to do that was just to make sure we got the sort of law that we needed. But apparently Biden now could introduce a law making, you know, Mifepristone, misoprostol as a drug, freely available and, and legal. Yeah, as prepared to do it. All you would require is a an online um, consultant with consultants with a doctor. So it wouldn't require, you know, it's not. Yeah, you wouldn't. Well, even, it's happening now, actually, Tony. Just so yeah. as you know, like Aid Access has been operating in America for a couple of years, mm. um, and they're very much it's women on web. It's the same like yeah. organization, they have a different name in the US, but so they're actually providing thousands of people with abortions. But but we're also we, seeing, seeing cases of uh, law enforcement, uh, people taking issue with uh, women um, doing this in their own homes. And there has been, I think, a case in Ohio in the last few days already of of an overzealous policeman go, uh, going into someone's home because they believe that they were trying to uh, abort at home. Like this is this yeah. is happening now that when you talk about dystopia, it, it's there, it's happening. It's playing well, do you remember out. when our post was being intercepted as well. That's only five or six years ago, mm. you know. Um, so you used to, you used to have to order it to to Belfast or to the north and go up and get it. You couldn't actually get it in the south because the government was you know ordering the intervention. So we're not that far away from it. But look, I do think that the idea of being able to eliminate abortion in the context when you don't actually even need very many abortion clinics anymore, because Medical abortion can account for 80 to, you know, 85 percent of all abortion. Obviously, you will always still need some um, doctor surgeries or whatever. But I think all of us on this panel would agree that abortion shouldn't even be on the statute books in any way. It should be a health issue. You know, it shouldn't be in any constitution or criminalized because 
It just should be the person themselves who's affected making the decision, you know. And, and just in terms of the sort of dangers, because I completely agree with what Ruth is saying, it's not the 1950s, but it's important to highlight a particular vulnerability when laws like this are introduced, which is like the day before Roe was overturned, an American tourist was airlifted out of Malta because she was 16 weeks pregnant and she was spontaneously um, aborting. She was having a miscarriage. And just like what happened in Ireland with Savita Alapanavar, the doctors were unable to perform the surgery. And she, I mean, it's so dystopian, as you said, bananas, that a woman has to be put into an airplane and flown to Spain. She could have easily died for a for a procedure that probably takes 10 minutes to carry out. So this is when people talk about women will die. This is where it is really, really dangerous, these sorts of laws, is when women are post-12 weeks present in hospital with complications and, and they will die. I think there's no doubt about that. Yeah, I just, sorry, if I can jump in there, I just completely agree with you, Camilla. And like, we know this from, there's several research to say this, that, that anywhere where abortion is illegal, women die. And it's in those situations. And like that same procedure that that woman needed um, in Malta is the same procedure that's carried out after a miscarriage. Um, it's just to make sure that all the the, the products that are are remaining are removed so that she doesn't develop septicemia, the same thing that Savita uh, died of here in Galway. So it's it's just basic it's just basic healthcare, you know? Um and it's just and I suppose just to say as well, and um, you mentioned Northern Ireland there as well, Tony, like even though it's been decriminalized in Northern Ireland, there's that has not meant that there's any provision of access and it's just almost impossible in Northern Ireland to to uh, under the current um the, the current situation um it, like, well, like, I, I don't know if you noticed it was early this week um didn't get as much publicity as i thought because everybody said it was grand westminster was going to come in step in mm-hmm. and, and actually legislate and take over for that and they had a vote and they decided not to act in, in westminster i saw that i saw that yeah and What's happened as well is in, in October uh, 2021 as well, Informing Choices, which were the charity helpline that were working in Northern Ireland there, um, they unfortunately had to fold due to lack of funding and uh, lack of resources. And, you know, it's just that that should be completely, it should be a government funded thing. And it's it's not. So women are traveling from Northern Ireland. They're just traveling to the UK really to, to access or, or ordering the pills online and self-managing at home. Um, so, you know, like it doesn't matter what legislation is there, there needs to be implementation of services. And that's the thing. And, and Can I just highlight one thing following on from that? Lorraine did research into the um, implementation of, of the legislation. And one thing that sent a shiver up my spine was the health ground and how difficult it is to get an abortion in Ireland on the grounds of health. Um, the same amount of abortions, I think it's 24, are provided on that ground every year, the same amount that existed before repeal. And my point is that 10 years on from the death of Savita, um, we could actually still have another Savita because of the chilling effect of the criminalising of abortion outside of any reason, you know, bar yeah. the 12 weeks. Um and it's one of the reasons that we're actually initiating a march on Savita's anniversary later this year, you know, which I'm sure we'll be highlighting again. But it just 
women will actually die in hospitals probably more likely than anywhere else. Of course, the people will always, the most vulnerable people who have no knowledge, no education, no access to the pills or awareness will take chances and, and do the things that women have, and pregnant people have always done. You know, bottles of bleach and falling downstairs and things like that. And it's just horrific to think about it. And there were other huge red flags thrown up in this decision. And if I could come to you on them, Lorraine, it looks like they are trying to return to a period in American history, which they imagine existed, which never really did, um, where women and people of minorities and LBGTQI, nobody had any choice, say they were victims of the society. And it seems that's where they want to return to. Yeah, and I suppose it's it's been said before, you know, like, it's it's not the 1950s, but at the same time, like, you know, capitalism has led us to this place where there is such a massive division of wealth now in the US. It's absolutely cruel. And, you know, as Ruth has already pointed out, you know, it's it's women of color. It's it's, um, you know, it's LGBTQI people. It's those who are most marginalized that find it most difficult to access the service. I mean, even in Ireland here, you access the service online. It's all online through my options, which can be very accessible for some people. But if you don't have access to the Internet or you don't have you don't have, um, you know, a, like a, a smartphone or you're not, you know, you're not up with technology or, you know, there's lots of barriers there. And as well as that, the, the HSE booklet, um, the information on abortion, on how to access an abortion, was only printed in English and Irish languages. So anyone from, you know, anyone seeking asylum, um, anyone in direct, direct provision centres, um, those whose, whose first language is not English, it's a huge barrier. Um, so I think making making it available and, and even knowing, making that first step of how to go about accessing it. It's just so, it's so huge for the mar- for marginalized groups, you know? Yeah, we, um, we, we spoke to Dr. Joe uh, Murphy-Lawless as, uh, uh, about it, and we know the, the, the maternal deaths affect minority communities. Like it's, it, the statistics are just phenomenally weighted in that way. I think it's, it's like a 10 to two ratio or something. And it's, you know, it, it, it highlights some awful um, systemic, I'm going to use the word racism as well. in some of the ways these things are handled uh, and it's, it's really, it's really quite grim. But one of the other things that was nasty in, in these red flags that Martin refers to, and, and was the idea that, one of the, you know, I know these guys were talking about being originalists and returning to the, 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 the idea of the Constitution, but the dog whistle towards eugenics was that that the people of color were, were having more abortions as a, as a way of suppressing the the the, uh, the growth of that community and that we that we want to avoid that. That was quite grim and quite dark to see that used as, as like turned on its head to use it that way. Camilla, you wanted to come in. I know you yeah, I might just come in on two points. I want to pick up on what Martin was saying about the kind of broader, you know, attempts to return to some past that never existed. But first of all, just on maternity services in Ireland. So I have done some research for the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission about uh, the experiences of Muslim women in Irish maternity settings. And absolutely, racism is absolutely part of what they experience. There's no doubt about that. I'm happy to share the link to that. Research it was done with the Mal uh, Women's Association, so I think that would be a good thing for people to be aware of. 
But just, um, I mean, what Martin is talking about is what I think I'm hearing. Sometimes people talk about this notion of culture wars, you know, and this idea of, you know, that the that the battle has moved beyond economics and it's, it's more about, you know, people's politics are now more about the choices they make about how they want to live. I mean, I would really strongly want to push back on that because behind all of these laws, be they the laws about the oft really transphobic laws, be they, you know, restrictions on abortion, whatever they are, at the core of all of them is preserving the heteronormative family unit. It's the sanctity of the family. And the family is an economic unit. Capitalism does not survive without the economic unit of the family, without women in particular picking up the care burden. It's, you know, in so many ways, it is central to a functioning neoliberal society. And I think that's why governments all over the world, including in Ireland, continue to get into bed with the Catholic Church, who in Ireland are, we know, are human traffickers. We know that they um, have protected paedophiles for years, but yet the state continue to, you know, to be friendly towards this organisation. And I do think a big part of that is because neoliberal capitalism and religious ideology that preserves this family is very they're they're very comfortable bedfellows. They sit very well together. So it, it's about economics for me. No, we, bottom of it all. We we, we oh, sorry, Lorraine. I will come to you, but I just make always remember. It always reminds me of the uh, wasn't it Nixon when they when they trialed in in I can't remember where it was, but they trialed like a universal basic income for people, and they just you know there was a, a little a little bump in it, and they were worried that. Uh, that the, the it actually might give the, the women uh, autonomy and enough power to leave their husbands. Uh, and it goes back to your point, Camilla, that, that it would create that issue like, oh, Jesus, she doesn't have to, if she's not dependent on him for everything. She might have some independence. But it, but it's sort of so all of the reports that, get, that gave said showed that uh, educational attainment improved, social mobility improved, but they went, oof, but we don't want to mess with the, uh, with, the, with, the, with the family unit. Sorry, Lorraine, I know you wanted to come in. Yeah, just to say that, you know, like given all of the atrocities that the Catholic Church and just their treatment of women and children in this country and then, you know, for the National Maternity Hospital, for that then to be, I suppose, just, you know, handed over um, to St. Vincent's Healthcare Group, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago as well as just another, uh, I, I don't know, it was just infuriating. And I suppose, you know, it even regardless of the link with the Catholic Church there, which is obviously so problematic, it's the privatization of our healthcare that is happening. And, you know, it's just a quite a fast rate, a progressively more and more uh, privatization of our of our healthcare is is quite you know, I think it's quite scary, actually. And, you know, doing this 299 year lease, you just don't know what minister for health is going to be in that position in, you know, 10 years or five, you know, even five years time, you just don't know. So, so this, it's just, I think it's quite scary. I think I just wanted to bring up that point of, of the National Maternity Hospital. I think it's well. a, it's a great point because we, we were working with the, the, the campaign and all we, you know, when you see all of these rights, uh, they're, they don't stop coming for them. Took them 40, 49 years to catch uh, Roe v. Wade, and I keep, we keep saying Roe v. Wade. But Casey also was was struck down as well. It's important to remember that as well. Martin, did you want to? Yeah, I wanted to pick up on a couple of points that Camilla said, uh, and just put them to Ruth. Ruth, Camilla mentioned the the influence of neoliberal capitalism, the influence of a very conservative Catholic Church. 
is it is it too strong to say that what we're seeing in America and also in other parts of the world at the moment is creeping fascism? Is that is it too strong to say that what we're seeing is creeping fascism? Uh, I think fascism is a very strong term. Um, I'm not saying there are obviously fascists within, you know, the the, the religious right in America. Um, I suppose what we're seeing is a real political crisis. Like the fact, if you think about it, to throw up a president like Trump, you know, to throw up an absolute arch misogynist, homophobe, sexual predator, you know, racist, um, hardly the most intelligent person going, you know, billionaire, of course, anti-worker, that, that this is what emerges at the cream of, you know, the political system in the US really says a lot. And, and the whole two-party system in America as well. I mean, if anything comes from this, it would be good to see a questioning about that. I mean, there is another side to what's going on in America as well. I mean, there's actually a huge interest in socialist ideas in America right now. Um, I mean, like, for example, there's an independent socialist who's a like colleague of mine who's on the council in Seattle. A council, by the way, will be eight people in an entire city. It's not like a council here. Um, and she's independent of the Democrats. But but there are left people as well. And I, I just think that you have got a very polarised situation. Um, and I think now what we're looking at is a recession arising from, you know, the war in Ukraine, COVID, from Brexit, etc. And they're going to raise interest rates and probably provoke a recession. And I think we're moving into a really dangerous political period in the world now. Um, there's no question of that. And um, what way will it go? I mean, you, we see the far right and right populism, you know. Ruth, they've actually made the point in the in the Federal Reserve that they want to move. America currently has unemployment of only 3.6 and they want to get it closer to a stable figure of around 6% for the 18 to 24 months that, that'll, that'll put the curbs on inflation. So in other words... Put more people to the pin of their collar will 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 take the heat out of the inflationary pressures. That is a stunning admission to to say out loud, and that that is actually what was said earlier last late last week uh, out of the Federal Reserve. So they they didn't say to obviously re- reduce employment. They said a figure of about six percent, but they didn't mention that that meant it had to increase unemployment. You know, it's it's a crazy thing to to admit. Um, just also on 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 the wider context though, the this idea of get out and vote. We have the same here as well, by the way, folks. That's what I mean. Why I'm bringing this up because, believe it or not, I mean, ain't you have the same level of support according to the most recent opinion polls as as uh, some of your you know mainstream um, parties of uh, I think that either are bouncing around at two two to three percent on some of the reports, which is generally where you will see sock Dems, Labour, Greens nowadays, and you know they're in that territory and they are finding a home in in Ireland and in that and in that they will attach themselves to certain causes. Uh, be those, you know, cost of living crisis or whatever it is, but they will also be working on on that angle there. Camilla, you 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 know all about the activism side of this. How do we push out uh, these bad faith actors and 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 identify them? Because it's very easy for everybody to say this guy supported me on you know the price of petrol when I was upset. Um, I must I must hear him out on his ideas about uh, about migration and and the issues there. 
Yeah, and, and I mean, I think, you know, a bit of my heart sank, sank when you said Camilla because Ruth would be <laughs> such a good person also to take that question. Oh, we'll, I mean, we'll, we'll was, go, Ruth will come in on that. Well, I mean, just, I mean, I know Ruth organized a meeting in the community where I live just last week. I went to the meeting about how we should respond to the rise of the right because it is exactly the sorts of things you are talking about, you know, hooking on to people's real distress about housing and other issues. So I don't know, Ruth, how would you feel if I if I do hand over to you on this one? Yeah, no, I think um, we did and we had a meeting disturbed by the far right. And that's actually the first time anything like that has ever happened in my, I'm about 37 years a political activist. Like, um, so I've never seen anything like it. And they are after COVID as well, they were able to tap in to the, you know, fears, the distrust of authority, the isolation that people felt um, and and get a certain audience. And they've never really had that type of audience before. And there's no question emboldened by Trump, Bolsonaro, you know, Putin. You have these very right wing uh, like neoliberal Neanderthal types that have been very influential in the last few years. So I, I think it is going to be a battle for how we need to get to those people, you know, and we need to true class ideas, to be honest, because that's like liberal wishy-washy notions won't cut it. Uh, it will be things like they are using the housing crisis, National Party of Posters up here in Blanchardstown, how's the Irish first? And you know, they're working off, this is Leo Varadkar's constituency, Fingal did not build one public house last year here, you know, and this is an epicentre for homelessness for the last eight or nine years. So the conditions are being perfected for the right to to, to grow, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are in a very, like I would say, interesting, but obviously very dangerous situation as well. And unless we actually tackle the crux issue of the wealth that we, we do have in society, which others have mentioned, like we have all of the resources that we need to solve the problems. But the problem is that they're in the hands of very few people. Yeah, we, we certainly have. Uh, look, it just just I know I've probably this was a fed up me saying it just in terms of simple income, market income inequality. Ireland is the second worst in the OECD. I mean, that, and that's in a country that boasts every year of having the fastest growing economy yet again, you know. So there's a huge disconnect between people's lived experiences in the in, in society as opposed to those economic figures that we that we that we do. Um, Lorraine, I just I, I, I hate to come back to you on this, but it's just the idea that we I spoke to um historian Dr. Mary McAuliffe uh, at the weekend and she was talking about, you know, she's she's written a lot of stuff from the forgotten feminists and 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 issues of those but the idea that we've always uh punished when 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 society comes to to make these decisions it's always women and children who are punished uh at the end at the end of it when it comes down to it when you mentioned the mother and baby homes we still have three thousand children in emergency accommodation and we now have those struggles for for fixing that legislation when you were doing your your work and the research and that what would you know what would for you, what would success look like over the next year or two in those in those spheres? Yeah, well, you know, women and children have always suffered because of the patriarchal makeup of society. You know, that that is it. It's it's men who are 
you know, making decisions in, in government and, you know, and, uh, you know, in the church who are who are running the institutions and, and that's the reality of it. So I think, you know, the last institution, the last Magdalene Laundry closed in 1996 and then in 1998 we opened the first uh, direct provision centre. So, you know, we've just had a continuation of institutionalising, you know, the marginalised in society and, um. I think, yeah, it's it's how it's how do we move away from that? And you know, it's it's you know, it's activism. I think it's 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 um it's getting the right people in positions of power as well. Like it's just it's you know, you know, it's just very difficult. Like people who are seeking asylum in this country, um, placed in institutions for you know up to seven, ten plus years, um how do you give them a voice how do you give them a platform and um and how how do you get them out of there you know it's just uh i think we just we have a long way to go it's just been a i suppose one historical shift you know from from one to another and um i just think you know we it's changed in some ways but not in in others if you know what i mean yeah yeah there is a lot of work still to be done i think lorraine on that does anybody have any final comments before we wrap up? I was just going to name check. There's a book by a woman called Laura Briggs, an American woman, called How All Politics Became Reproductive Politics. And just to bring it back to, you know, Roe v. Wade and, and, and you know, why, why we're essentially on this, on, on this, having this discussion, you know, and it really is, you know, reproductive rights cannot be separated from housing, from the long hours for low pay that people have to work. The fact that there's no maternity leave in the United States, no paid maternity leave in the United States of America, that the like housing is a reproductive rights issue. Basic income is a reproductive rights issue. These are this is not a single issue. And I think part of what what, you know, radical voices and what activists need to do. And maybe maybe the failure of the repeal movement was that in the aftermath of an absolutely incredible victory that we didn't manage yet i think there's a lot of people still active but we haven't managed yet to build that sort of groundswell that makes that connection between abortion access and all of the other conditions uh, that we're being asked to endure at the moment i think that's a really good point camilla and i think you can see that reflected too in the the uh, the water movement where after that happened the movement didn't find a home for itself, I think is the right way to put this. Looking at it, I think we can say, and I'm going to rob from uh, Father Peter McVeary, we do sympathy well, but we don't do solidarity well. And we need more solidarity, of course, more issues, including abortion, including repeal, including poverty, including housing rights. So I'd like to thank you for coming along, everybody today, Camilla, Ruth and Lorraine. And let's hope that the future is brighter in Ireland than it is in America. Thank you. So folks, we'll leave it there. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for liking. Thanks for the thanks for all the I wake up to these awful DMs. Me, Martin, you don't get the abuse I get. It's great. Yeah, Should, I don't I, wake up as early as you do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, look, folks, we, we're back tomorrow with um, Fence Europe, I believe, are, are joining us. So uh, more, more coming your way and uh, talk to you all very soon. Take care. Bye bye. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony, speaking to interest.
It's the Echo Chamber Podcast. Subscribe now on Patreon.